So Matt, how's it gone, mate? Another week. Uh, I know bad, mate. Um, just kind of I groundhog week. You know what I mean? What? Well, we're we're back to the start again. <laughs> Pretty much, mate. It feels like it does feel a wee bit like sort of groundhog week with groundhog day. My days are like, Matt, it's weird. I'm getting to work Monday to Friday now, and I've never ever done that unless I've requested Aye. it. And I'm finding that there's there's some advantages, but there are some disadvantages. See, when you get to that Friday afternoon, man, your head's absolutely fucking melted. Like, I, <laughs> I can't even face looking at things, whereas normally I would get, like, a breakup. And even if you have, Aye. like, maybe, like, three days off and then you're on for ten days, it's not quite the same as what I'm finding is five days on, two days off, five days on, two right. days off. And it's maybe even psychological. Who knows? But... Um, you were talking last time about, about adjustment. Aye, that's it. It's just adjustments need to get made, and I need to just manage myself more than anything else. But you were talking last time about like you know, we were talking last time about um, what addiction and how we're getting on. I was just wondering like how you how you found this week, bit mate. Um, I, I mean, I'm still you know another week sober. Um, I've been involved in a few, uh, you know, like Zoom, Facebooky quiz things where I've obviously been like virtually around sort of people who are drinking and um Stacy, my partner, hosted one um the last couple of nights, obviously herself and, and Shannon were there. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, I've been in a couple of social situations where drinks been on the go. Um it has been a wee there have been a few cravings, you know, like Friday, Saturday night trigger, you know what I mean? Like, especially when you look around and, you know, a lot of other folk are out there enjoying themselves at the weekend as they always would, you know what I mean? Um, so I just really keeping the cravings done has been the biggest challenge this week, but it's on my head, you know what I mean? Like my body's, well, it was a good couple of weeks clear now. I wasn't really at any major peak in sort of my drinking, mm-hmm. um, but I saw, it's, as you say, it's boredom really, you know what I mean? Like boredom plays a big thing, as we were saying last week, that you're sitting about on a Friday or Saturday night thinking about it more than anything else really you know what i mean Aye, absolutely mate that's it i mean i think that that is the main one for me is just boredom just makes me want to just do anything to sort of fill my time something that Aye. i suppose we could you can work on but it's good to hear that you and i, I did notice when we were doing the quiz the other night that stacy was sitting on a beer and you were had you had a pint glass iron brew so i did have that sort of mental to go well done mark do you know what i mean because that Aye. is the time and it is the time when you could easily just make that wee excuse into it. Like, do you know what? A couple of beers totally. while I'm doing this quiz. But it, I, it was good to see that you were on Nine Brew, mate. I'm just going to keep plugging away with it. As I say, you know, it, I've had on and off all the years. The new, I'm, I'm still fairly determined to stay off it, off it. Um, but I, who knows? Maybe the lockdown will crack and I'll be like fucking party time again who knows <laughs> I've seen a lot of that right now I'm definitely, I'm definitely still sort of solidly on the mind that while the lockdown and all that's happening it's not the best idea mm-hmm. you know what I mean seen a lot of that on Twitter people sort of making their plans for when lockdown um, ends and what you're going to do and what's your drink going to do I'm pretty sure that the pubs in Glasgow might be able to recover three months worth of in a couple of weekends probably Aye. some of them are Something that I noticed, like, about the the Zoom quiz, personally, I mean, <coughs> not to sound like a fucking negative, no, you know what I mean? Like, don't want to be too Aye. negative, but that is, like, literally my idea of a fucking nightmare. Um, <laughs> I mean, socialising in general, 
is like a laborious task for me in the last sort of few years. Um, yep. And I mean, the circumstance around that, well, there's a couple of particular things. One, there was people there that I didn't know and that I've never yeah. met. And I think even like meeting people in person is one thing, but meeting people virtually is another kettle of fish. It's quite awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, Stacey's asked me a few times to sit in on like private chats with like her work colleagues and stuff like that, and I've just no felt comfortable. So the the Zoom quiz that Stacey hosted was definitely also the first time I met a few of those people. So it's quite an odd experience to to meet somebody sort of virtually. Aye, absolutely. I mean, when I'm on my work, I mean, Zoom and WebEx and Skype are used all the time in my mm-hmm. work to do conference calls and I suppose they're handy tools for shit like that, do you know what I mean? To get oh, people aye. like in the, the one place that they normally kind of get in the one place. But I'm, I'm mm-hmm. like mute turn the camera off and just put my headphones <laughs> in and just sit and listen most of the time unless I get yep. like properly triggered by something that somebody said in the in the call. But I meet you I was gonna people. say there's no way you're sitting in silence for an hour. No, I but I chills. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the, that's like my idea of a nightmare. I mean like meeting new people's one thing. Um meeting new people's sober's another thing that I don't particularly mm. like today and even just any sort of social situations. But I woke up on uh, Sunday and I was thinking about, like, I had to get a real buzz out that quiz on Saturday night. Um, and right. really enjoyed, not just, like, the quiz, but being in the chat, seeing everybody's faces, a couple of mm-hmm. people that I've not seen, obviously, in a while. Um, and also, like, we were on mute and there was a couple of days we're texting backwards and forwards. Um, yeah. And well, I mean, I was literally crying. We were on mute, so you couldn't. Don't know if you noticed, but I was crying with laughter because one of the questions that Stace asked was, um, "Who's made billions uh, for selling windows?" And one of my mates put in C.R. Smith, which was like, <laughs> mm. but he questioned. I mean, he questioned uh, that. He was like, "Well, it's, it's true. Should I not get a point?" And I was like, "No, nah, I'm not sure C.R. Smith quite fond of the category of billionaires, but um, definitely uh, made millions for double glazing yeah, windows." Double glazes in the old Strathclyde region in the mid nineties. I don't think it was enough to to get you into the billions category. Uh, but 100%. I'm sure they made a fair few quid for themselves. You know, fucking I mean? right. Probably made more money out of fucking Celtic and Rangers fans putting Wendy's into their house because they were in front of their fucking cat. Do you know what I mean? Like uh, um, <laughs> one of the things that I thought was hilarious as well was that I was sitting absolutely in tears and Sean was like, "Who's C.R. Smith?" And I was like, "Fuck's sake!" Right, I had to explain to her what C.R. Smith was and why it's significant in Scottish culture because it was in front of Celtic and Rangers taps for I don't know what ten years or something. Like that, but oh, we were man. we had like a sort of side chat going on that was fucking mm-hmm. hilarious um, so that was another thing that added to the enjoyment but <laughs> what else? I noticed this as well people's faces like you could you could see people it's almost like a, a really good exercise in sort of body language because you could see people especially during the round that was music now mm-hmm. I'm a big music fan obviously I played in bands for fucking years and years so here yeah. in the first five seconds of a song I know what that is pretty much unless I don't know Aye. so I can tell you what it is, otherwise otherwise I just don't know what the song is and I'm not that bothered. Mm-hmm. But you could see people getting proper pissed off that they couldn't hear. <laughs> and it was, it was a good exercise in sort of like reading body language and this stuff. This was one of the ones that I found a bit odd because we had attended my first Zoom quiz the week before where Stacey's cousin had done a music round on very similar terms. And it also did not work through the microphone and the iPad that we were using. Nice. Um, so the fact that a week later we, we then copied that 
sort of model straight through the bat. I was a bit like, this didn't work last week. Why were we doing it this week? You know what I mean? Like, but literal I, insanity happening. <laughs> just doing it the I same way. I think something else. Fifteen faces looking back at you, going. I can't hear, I can't hear that. I, I think whoever it was that shouted out nailed it, man. They think it's background noise, so it's it's trying to cut it out. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if there's a way that you could. I was trying to think. I wonder if there's a way that you could just share it through your no. phone or something. Who knows, man? But I'll tell you what, I did well in that round, so I don't give a shit. Like uh, people I, couldn't hear it, I could hear the first five seconds. But anyway, exactly. that's by the by. Well, not that you're competitive in that respect. No, not at all. <laughs> it's fucking raging. I didn't win, but anyway, the the thing that really sort of my interest was the fact that I really enjoyed meeting new people in a sort of strange awkward setting and I really enjoyed mm-hmm. um, after it I felt like it really gave me a boost and it just made me sort of reflect on why is it that when it comes to social situations whether it be friends or family I make the plans and if it's far away say it's like four weeks away and somebody says to me do you want to go out of a gig in four weeks my initial reaction is fucking, yep, of course, I love music, Absolutely. I, I want to see my mates, aye, let's go and do it. But when it comes to the day of the event, I get this fucking horrible anxiety where I just cannot be fucked in this. I just want to sit yeah. in, I just want to um, fucking roll a joint, put on Netflix, whatever it might be. And mm-hmm. one of life's actual great pleasures is when somebody texts you like half an hour before you're due to leave to go, I can't be fucked with this, can you? And you're just like, <laughs> fucking yes. Like, no, I can't be fucked you're and let's just leave it. cancellation roulette. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're hoping that you get the right reaction when you send that text uh, message, that's for fucking sure. But it did really make me think about it. Um, and I think that over the, like I said a, a couple of minutes ago and fucking many times, I played in bands and bands as a social or gigs as a mm-hmm. social situation. And when yeah. I thought about it, I think I've put this weird sort of pressure on myself to be the life and soul of the party. And when I'm no, and to be that life and soul of the party, because it isn't my natural way of being is like being sort of mm. extrovert. I do really need the sort of social lubricants that have popped Aye. up in the past. Do you know what I mean? Which have ended up in Aye. sort of destructive behavior. Frontman Shieldsy and Vodka Shieldsy have got a lot more in common with each other than everyday Shieldsy, definitely. Aye, for sure, mate. Um, just the fact that we we had alter egos for when we were drinking <laughs> and we had like fucking wee side games of like stealing posters off people's walls when we went to house parties. Uh, it just, just pure nonsense. It just shows you the sort of level that we were at. Do you know what I mean? <clears throat> um, Aye. But I think that when I was talking about it, I was talking to Sean quite extensively. I just took about half an hour just to sort of just talk it out to get my sort of like mm-hmm. through my head. And I think that because I was asking people to come to social situations and it just put this fucking weird sort of pressure on me to be mm. that sort of like I'm making, not making people's nights, but it just made me no want to do it. And I think that Aye. I've ended up in this sort of weird headspace when it comes to it. But after Saturday night, and I suppose this is what I've been talking about quite a lot, is what I need to reflect on the changes I need to make after lockdown. After Saturday night, what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to put social situations like going out, not just like doing a podcast with you, which is a great sort of social release and, and, and all the rest of it, but seeing yeah. other people um, and going and seeing friends and family, I'm going to put it in the same bracket as what I do with the gym and we're we doing meditation because there's days where I cannot be fucked working out. There's days where I cannot be fucked meditating, but I do it because I, I realise that 
at the other side and there's an actual benefit there's a benefit to it and I think that uh, that's a realisation that I'm coming to Mer and Mel that spending time with like say yourself outside the podcast and Richie, Dave, Darn, whoever it might be and going and seeing my nephew and my mom and my sister mm-hmm. although when I'm just about to date I'm like for fuck's sake I can't be fucked with this there is uh, an actual real positive benefit for me to do that do you know what I mean? I think our number is are probably really starting to appreciate like socialisation as a form of self-care more than ever before just because of the scenario that we're in. I mean, I was up on Saturday, me and Stace took our, our hour wander uh, around Huggy Lock and it was beautiful, nice and warm. Um, and, you know, Stace has had epilepsy for most of the last sort of five or six years and it has a really big impact on her ability to go out. So things like gigs and that are a no-no because you know the speakers and vibrations can trigger it and stuff like that mm-hmm. um so it does really limit our social like interaction she is a very sociable person and what she was saying as we walked in huggy was just like i'm not going to take my times when i'm fitting well enough to go out and see somebody for granted you know what i mean like it becomes yeah. easy for her to once she's had three bad days to have one day to recover where Part of that day could have maybe been going to lunch or any number of other things that she always loves doing that she maybe doesn't do as much. So I think on the other side of this, that's certainly something that I know Stacey will be looking at more. Um, I'm probably going to be a bit more conscious of it. I mean, I do enjoy my own time, my own space and stuff like that. Uh, that's never really going to change, but I'm going to be more conscious of that moment you were talking about where you're sitting playing chicken with each other. You know what I mean? Like where you're just waiting for the text message or the, the WhatsApp to come in and go, look, mate, can we, you know, do this another night? And you're just, you've seen who blinks first. And those scenarios, I'm definitely going to be more conscious of not being that guy. You know what aye, I mean? Aye, man. Aye, definitely, man. Um, aye, I think for somebody like Stacey, you can imagine that having that sort of social ability ripped away for you and the, the fashion that it did must have had such a huge impact on Because like you said, man, she she was the actual life and soul of the party. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> When I went to parties with like, so you and Stacey, I knew I could take a back seat because Stacey was, she's actually like that. She's naturally like aye. the life and soul of everything. So, she um, likes people. <laughs> see for somebody that see for a for a, a pair of people that sit down with like strangers on basically like a weekly basis and talk to them for like an hour and a bit mm-hmm. about a completely unrelated subject that we are not involved in sometimes we are a pair of miserable bastards when it comes to sitting down and I would probably <laughs> we probably need to be a wee bit more willing to actually like engage with folk on a real level outside of the podcast definitely aye absolutely mate um what what What's been going on this week then? Like, what have we... I mean, the, this week's been another fucking absolute rabble in the political spectrum, but... Oh, my God. Aye, aye. It's, it's been ridiculous, isn't it? I think probably, like, best place to start. And ordinarily, you know, we'd, we'd reserve, you know, sort of a wee bit towards the end of the shows to kind of, like, round up some of the batshit mental stuff that Trump and his cronies have been up to. But I think, you know, this week he's went to a new level. Ordinarily, would prioritise, you know, like British and Scottish stories. But, I mean, this guy, I think at one point was like somewhat the top 15 trending things on Twitter when he said this nonsense. So, um, it's got a bit, I don't know, man, like, he's the Tiger King of fucking news stories here. So it's just got like, it's just descended into a level of nonsense that you're just like, I can't believe this is where we are now. You know what I mean? Aye, absolutely. I hope he does make a music video. 
like the guy for Tiger King. <laughs> I'd like to hear Trump voice. The only thing is, I, I singing about Hillary. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of Carol Baskin, Hillary Clinton. Aye, Aye absolutely. No, All no. we need is for her to fucking off bow, and then that's us. We're, we're off and running. <laughs> I'm sure there's a few rumours that a folk has already been off that we could probably slot in, well. slot in there. Um, Bye. Trump has decided that, you know, this week he was going to just talk about the possibility of injecting disinfectant and using UV light. So essentially, he wants to use bleach and sunlight to, you know, kill the coronavirus. And I'm fairly sure that if that was possible, we'd have probably worked out already. Um, I mean, this guy was just up at the podium, like, fucking freestyling. You know what I mean? Like, he, was, <laughs> he, just, he was just roughing. You know what I mean? He was just had got up there and, and started talking when the idea of what direction his sentence was going in. And, like, I felt for the wee woman that was sitting sort of stage right where he was like, we can look into this, right? You know what I mean? And it's, uh, it sort of, there's shots that panning in towards her face and she's just like, Jesus Christ. Aye, it's <laughs> getting the pure sound of silence written or edit into that video Aye. of your face. I mean, something that jumped out at me about that situation is like the level of self-preservation that's going on amongst the, a lot of people. I mean, this isn't just in Trump's administration. This is across the fucking planet. But for somebody that, that's, I mean, she's... She's a doctor, is that right? Yeah. Like, for somebody who's actually like went through all that education and to get to that point where you're sitting in like the Oval Office or you're Aye. sitting in the press room, you've you've had yeah, to... you you and you're a national authority and you're and yourself exactly, you know I mean? man. Like, why is she no fucking jumping up? And other than the fact that he would pull the trigger and sack her in the fucking back <laughs> an eyelid, like. But that, to me, doesn't really sort of sit well with me that we've got experts that are just standing by while fucking elected idiots yeah. basically go up and do an improvised stand-up. I mean, that was like fucking stand-up comedy that he was doing. I mean, it was that Aye, laughable. It was like presidential policy pure off-the-cuff. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just, I've never seen him, you know, work it out in that kind of manner before. I mean, I think when it comes to the self-preservation like we talk about self-preservation in the sort of metaphorical sense when it comes to somebody's career, but like when you look at some of the reactions to the the American CMO Fucci, he actually has at times interrupted press events to be like, no, that's not cool. And what he's got off the back here has been incredible. You know what I mean? Like, so I don't know if the self-preservation we're talking about just is restricted to people's careers. Right. I think people in these scientific disciplines that are associated with this in America might find themselves, you know, on this end of some real aggro if they're not careful. And I don't know if that plays mm. a part. If it does, I would personally say it's reasonable and fair, you know what I mean? Like, right, I suppose. <coughs> I mean, as Trump has done, after all. Aye. All you can really do is give him the advice. You're never going to really influence how he uses that advice. So, mm-hmm. Just give him the advice and you've done your job, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're watching but, him um, drown. We're watching this guy sink. Um, but I don't know if it's quite going to hit his popularity. I don't know if it's if it's going to hit his twenty twenty campaign. Mm. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, it seems like we were talking about in previous episode, and we've seen videos during the week which were actually like really shocking and scary to me, where the guys dressed up in the fucking George Washington outfit with a mask, yeah. and he's got a fucking AR fifteen and they're standing. Assault rifle, that's stand scary on shit, dude. Just little steps. That's yeah. so scary. I mean, what mm-hmm. is that telling people? What is that telling the world? 
about what sort of state that we're in in America other than, I mean, we've seen them as well go out and protest because they want to go to the barbers and get their fucking hair cut and they're yeah. saying, like, let us out of lockdown so that we can go and get our nails done and it's just, like, that's wild to me that's so wild yeah, to absolutely. me I mean, I think you probably just need to look at the fact that how many, you know, politicians and public figures this week had to come out and tell people not to drink bleach as a result of <laughs> well, what Trump had said. So, I mean, when you look at some of the other things he said, I it's completely understandable that some nutters are out on the steps of the legislatures with, you know, assault rifles. And doesn't make it right, but there is a, you know, consequence and response kind of thing that, you know, action response that happens when the president gives advice for the podium, you know what I mean, behind mm-hmm. that seal. And, like... The advice he's giving out is absolutely terrible. You know what I mean? Like, Aye, man. You- I'd seen a thing on Twitter that was saying that New York had seen the amount of people that went to A&E for ingesting bleach over the twenty-four, the course of the 24 hours post his speech had tripled. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, two things to that. One, yeah. why, is there a, why is there a statistical number of people that are ingesting bleach on a daily basis in fucking New York? <laughs> but two, that number tripled, like you're saying, man. There is... A, there is uh, an actual real world measurement for sort of cause and effect when this fucking idiot gets up to speak and just decides, like you were saying earlier, to riff off of the back of what I mean, it feels like to me that he's fucking scrolling through his Instagram feed and one of the mad weird pop-up ads that come in. Yeah. When you click on it, it takes you to a website that you're like, that's not a real fucking website. They're gonna steal my fucking card details if I yeah. put them in and try and buy this. But he's been like had a wee pop-up but it's like yeah why don't you try this new miracle fucking bleach elixir or whatever it might be and he's went up and went let's look into this ah, you just could because do some serious damage by like sponsoring content on twitter that's directed at trump i mean when you look at the state he's tweets it's clear that he still tweets himself so he's in charge of that phone mm-hmm. so if you were to actively like target him with ads on twitter you could probably do some real world damage you we should I mean, maybe what? try and do something like that. Remember when uh, <laughs> sort of Scottish football, I think it was Celtic and Hibs fans maybe, came together to sort of retweet a story and see where it went. And it was like within three hours, it was on the Sun website and everybody was like, yeah. Aye, let's look at the origin uh, the of that. Guys that, get, guys that get banned for Iraq. <laughs> uh, John, Oliver, John Oliver did it a few times. So he did where he takes out ads on the favourite news channel of Trump, the, the, the news programme that he references all the time, like Fox and Friends. And he took out the an advert in the first 15 minutes about specific legislation that he wanted to influence Trump with, but he did it with like a pure old school cowboy and all the rest. It was like he was speaking the pure Trumpian language to him. Right. Um, so, I did, did it's jokingly being done. I don't think so. No. no um, but I mean, as I say, see in terms of the advice he's gained, it's, it's mental, it's pure scattergun because I think at this point he's now just trying to throw enough shit at the wall so that if something actually sticks, he can point to it during the election and go, look, I was the first one that was talking about Mm. injecting bleach. I was the first one that was talking about injecting UV light and all these other types of things. And It's just, aye, Hail Mary. Aye, absolutely. I hope nobody nobody tries to use bleach as sunscreen, go out and sunbathe. I mean, we've had the the fucking, the warmest weekend in Scottish history, I think, for May. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll bet there's a few that have been sitting with their fucking bleach cocktails. (laughs) Save me, Jesus, please. (laughs) (laughs) With your beautiful UV lights. I mean, he's obviously been taking out his his daily briefings as a result of it. So he's then 
sort of press team have benched him. You know, I mean, the leader of the free world finds himself benched by a PR executive because he can't keep his shit together. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's crazy. It really I think is. one of the things that you've been kind of alluding to, and this is where I was kind of like aiming towards with the sort of Tiger King comment as well. Trump being a bit batshit on the podium really isn't like staggering news because we've seen it time and again in recent weeks. Mm-hmm. But where this one gets really mental is where he appears to have got this idea for. Because obviously injecting bleach is not official government policy anywhere. You know what I mean? Clearly. Yeah. But the Guardian ran a story saying that there is a company in America who, and I was tweeting about it on the, the Rebel City feed the other night just because I could not believe what I was reading. I actually thought I'd like checked the date on the article to make sure it was like April Fool's and stuff like that. Um, this company, they're an industrial producer of bleach, but they basically, for tax purposes, masquerade as a church. Um, the CEO, okay. the CEO refers to himself as Archbishop. All right, this All right. is. They're a bleach company, right? He's, a, he's Archbishop. They've been trying to ingratiate themselves with the White House to get involved in coronavirus and all these other things, thinking this is a good, you know, a good market for industrial bleach, as it potentially is, but mm-hmm. no the way Trump thinks. <laughs> right. Now, this mob, to you know, maintain the facade of being a church, market their bleach as MMS, which is a miracle mineral solution. Right, it's just Holy bleach. Fuck. It's industrial. It's fucking industrial bleach, right? But miracle mineral solution is how they promote it. And in the literature, they say that it can cure cancer, it can cure coronavirus, it can cure AIDS, all these other types of things. Um, and even that it's like safe to put six to eight drops of water in a child's uh, in a child's glass of water. Holy shit! Um, so they're advocating like giving this to kids. Um, so obviously these letters have been getting petitioned to the White House Trump or someone who probably does a lot of Trump's reading has seen this, either briefed him on it or as I say he's had a glance at it and understood half the words on it Uh, and then he's taken this idea without any sort of advice or any honing of the message out to you know the podium and went why don't we look into injecting bleach you know what I mean and that's where I like what you know what I mean like you're, you're talking about pandemic policy, as you say, off the cuff, influenced by fake churches and fucking magic elixirs. Like, you know what I mean? They're like, literally going back in time. Like, they're going to go uh, back to the Wild West with the fucking snake oil. Do you know what I mean? Where they're able to sell any sort of stupid fucking solution to any fucking problem out the back of fucking wagon to people. Aye. That's I mean, fucking well, crazy, man. I think we're pretty much there if this one's to be believed. Do you know what I mean? Aye, well, man. Um, wow, that's blown my mind, dude. I mean, that's aye. that's insane. I mean, you think it's bad here? You think the politi- the politics and the pol- politicians that mm-hmm. we've got in the UK are bad? But I don't think I would quite put any of them in the category of somebody who's read about a miracle mineral solution that includes bleach that they'll try to get you to put in your Wayne's baby bottle. I mean, what the fuck is that all about? Man? This is aye, like they're talking, they're, they're punting bleach to Trump as if it's holy water. And he's buying it. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, so, well, the Reverend did say. You, uh, the good the Reverend. <laughs> it's like, um, the what's the fucking uh, the Mel Brooks movie? 
blazing saddles with his pure reverend every time the guy talks. So uh, it's like that, man. It's like that level of fucking stupidity that we're moving into with this, man. It's definitely. getting fucking crazy. I think one I of think the scary it's... things about America and the American situation um, is, is that the world sort of authorities are starting to cut them out of the conversation on how we can tackle this. And surely that's got to be a direct reaction to the fact that he's coming away with these batshit crazy ideals. He's also got an America first policy, which means he's not looking to really for his administration to interact with outside bodies in this regard anyway. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it's kind of consistent with his messaging and his actions to this point, even if it is extremely unhelpful for the American people not to be part of a worldwide sort of concerted effort to deal with us. Mm. I mean, he was trying to copyright bloody tests and, you know, acquisition companies for Germany so that he could keep cures in America and stuff like that. So, yeah, none of that would, you know, surprise me at this point. Mm. Um, I think as well, like, what's what's really scary for me, and it's something that we'll maybe talk about in a US context now because that's where we've, we've been, but it's starting to sort of pervade in the UK as well as, the pressure that politicians are now starting to come under to yeah. begin the reopening process. And I think Trump's yeah. scattergun throw all sorts at the wall in the hope that I can be seen to be doing something is partly, at least partly driven by the pressure that businesses now starting to put on him to actually open America. He's been talking about opening America since before it bloody shut. Mm-hmm. So he's clearly under pressure, clearly desperate to get things moving. And there is an obvious economic case that I get but at the same time, we're still in a situation where health and people's well-being needs to take priority. Mm. Um, I mean, I think the, the one of the great examples for America this week was the, I think probably everybody's seen the video, the, the last Vegas mayor who was talking about, like, fuck coronavirus, like, let it sweep through Las Vegas and we'll act as a control group. We'll, you know, remove all the restrictions and just let us get back to business. And you're going, so you'll be on the casino floors and the mayor's like, what the fuck? That's it, man. Like, you know what I mean? Kind of like back in the when people are trying to say to politicians, send your kids to war. Well, put yourself in the fucking firing line if you're so like adamant that this is either a non-starter or you're willing to put people out there as fucking guinea pigs to experiment yeah. on with like a fucking virus. I mean, that's just sort of pokes holes in the economic system in America as a whole, or even just the idea that the American dream and sort of like liberty and libertarianism when you've got two states, one Nevada, specifically Las Vegas, and another one Florida, who seem mm-hmm. to be getting impacted so deeply and so hard by this, basically because their full economy they don't take in enough tax receipts. So we know that a lot of people go to Florida to retire, not just because of the weather, of which mm-hmm. it is immense, but it's because they don't you don't pay tax in that state. So that right. sort of like harps back to the sort of like we should be free and we don't pay tax and blah blah blah. But when shit mm-hmm. that's so short sighted because when shit like this hits, you need these reserves and you need people to pull their weight. But when their whole ideologue and like outlook in life is that I look out for me and I don't look out for anybody else and my money's mine and all my resources are mine like it doesn't work in this this circumstance when they rely so heavily on tourist money so people come in to that sort of state or city to prop up their economy when something like this happens going forward they're going to need to find a new way to survive because I'm sorry but I would I would be absolutely 
fucking raging if somebody that I had elected suggests that I'll be a fucking guinea pig for them to see how this pans out. So we're going to end up in like the sort of what happened with the Spanish flu where we came out early and a couple of hundred thousand people died again and then they went back into lockdown. Um, And we hear this for politicians that seem sort of saying that we can absolutely stop this in its track if we do the right thing early enough. Mm-hmm. But if we don't, then it will go on and on and on and on and on. Yeah. So, aye, man, I think that's fucking batshit crazy to suggest that the citizens of Las Vegas should just get back to work and get back out there and open the casinos back up. Who the aye. fuck is going to go there? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, who's booking flights to Las Vegas when, you know, there's no, you know, vaccine in place, whatever. But again, I think this is just an example of that, as I'm, as I'm mentioning, eh, the sort of types of pressures politically that American you know, rule makers and um, sort of companies, CEOs, etc., are now starting to put on the president because they want to get back to business because, as you say, some of them are getting the other option but to because there's no support there, there's no, you know, additional help going to them to keep them tidied out until such times as things get back to normal. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> I think the other one as well, like... As an example of this, as um, I seen last week that Mitch McConnell, the, the leader of the American Senate, was openly kind of contemplating letting states go bust. So you've got major cities like Las Vegas screaming to be coming out of lockdown, telling there's an you know unprecedented economic disaster otherwise, and then you've got the guys who are essentially running the country, really, uh, the guys in the Senate, saying, well, you know. If you go bankrupt, that's really on you. We're not going to bail you out. And like some like thirty nine of the governorships are Republican. So this is the Republican Party telling overwhelmingly Republican Senate uh, governors that their states can go and basically fuck themselves. And you're like, what? That's immense pressure. Aye, man. Because if you're the president who is sworn the oath, let's say it's not Donald Trump, let's say it's somebody that actually takes oaths and shit seriously, who's, you know, <laughs> takes takes the oath to, like, protect and defend the Constitution of the United States, like, having multiple states go bankrupt simultaneously is no defending and protecting the Union. No. So, so how would you sit back and let your own Senate just cut entire sections of the country off like that? Like, the rhetoric is getting really sort of high, high pressure there. Mm-hmm. And we're starting to see, I don't think we're seeing the same level of pressure applied here just yet, but I'm, I think we're now starting to see the beginnings there. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of chat in the Telegraph, and you can see it coming early hell, can't you? You can see the whole, yeah. um, like, uh, it's, it's, it's about economics. Um, economics are a fucking choice. Like, we, the, the whole idea that keeps always getting hopped back to about there's no magic money tree when we know that there fucking is, the, the recovery of this is going to be an interesting place because we've seen what happens when the sort of, let's just say, the, the bottom 90% of people are made to pay debts through austerity. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that there's going to be a serious like outcry for other people to step up and take their fair share of this. Um, there's yeah. definitely a choice there. Um, and that that's the kind of rhetoric that I'm sort of worried about is that the newspapers mm-hmm. are already setting, or the news outlets are already setting people up for austerity on fucking steroids where they're talking about how we're going to pay this back. But if yeah. we have the right people in the right places, it won't go down the way that it did 
the last time. It doesn't have to. Yeah, I... but see, as you talk about like the states being left to go bankrupt, I mean, I listened to an interview with a guy who was a military strategist in uh, Iraq and Afghan. I listened to an interview with him, and they asked him about what what comparison, like what's it, what global um, event can he put that's comparable if what we're seeing. And he had said that they, when they went into Afghanistan, that that is the biggest comparison that he can make. And it's obviously not the same thing, war and, a war and virus, but the way that he made yeah. the comparison was through the fracturing of the, the different areas within Afghanistan and how sort of civil mm-hmm. war ended up happening between yeah. one warlord and another warlord. Um, and he described something that has just piqued my interest when you've just said that about them sort of, ending up playing off and we've seen it happening with, with the, the bidding war that's been happening with the PPE state to state or being made to bid so they're, they're going into direct competition with each other and they predicted yeah. that if it goes down that road they will end up where like sort of everything will just become insular and it will just get smaller and smaller so it will be state versus state first of all well first of all what he said will happen it'll be country versus country we've already seen that because it's all getting yeah. blamed on China um, and the sort of Chinese government and that, we, we know the, the failings that happened there and then it was Italy, especially here in Britain the reporting of the, the Italy crisis was Definitely. like devastating crisis in Italy whereas when we look at our own sort of crisis that we are facing it looks like it's worse than Italy, I know we're going to talk a wee bit about the numbers later but he said that it would be state, it would be country of playing half against each each other and they'll, they'll close the borders and this is sort of like authoritarian sort of steps. Um, they'll start yeah. to close the borders and they'll talk about how it's been foreigners that's brought the virus in and then it'll go state by state and then it might even go down to town by town and city by city. And that mm-hmm. just sort of, I mean, that predict, that guy's, that interview I, I listened to is like the 30th of March and now, like you're saying, that's exactly what we're seeing play out in America is that it looks like they're just going to leave them hang out to dry. Seems a fair comparison. I mean, that particular region in the Middle East is notoriously tribal, you know, to be like I think Pakistan all the way through Iraq and Syria and all these. And we've seen a lot of that with the, the IS carry on. So I get the comparison to a certain extent, even though war and the virus are, as you say, sort of two sort of different things. Um, but to go back to what we were just kind of on, um, these pressures, is, we're seeing them in America, as I say. Las Vegas, McConnell, so on and so forth, is bringing erratic decision-making to their president. We're now starting to see, I think, what is the beginnings of that here. Um, because in recent weeks, you know, or even in the last week, we're starting to see the likes of your Hopkinses coming out against, you know, nurses dancing. We're starting to see yeah. the Daily Mail uh, really sort of getting about critical, uh, you know, other elective surgeries and other NHS care being pushed back as a result of coronavirus. Now, yeah. when we we talked about flattening the curve in you know, the first days of this, it was obvious that other NHS work was going to have to be put to one side to a large degree to, yeah. to keep the capacity where it had to be. Um, so for them to be four or five weeks down the line and digging them out for that um, is a bit two-faced and counterproductive. The Daily Mail also has an issue with nurses managing their morale by singing a few songs. No, it's You've got Mrs. Gove talking about fucking how our pals are 
refusing to take part in the lockdown anymore and you're like, oh, that's that's great to think that that's something that you can do, but where are you going to go? Like a shut restaurant? You're going to go to a shut pub? You're going to go to a shut cinema? Like, fucking shut up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, I mean, that narrative... These people are now starting to, like, I boil the pot. Mm-hmm. They've sparked the heat under it now. Um, and it's something that we need to be wary of because I think as we look to America, as we have done already today, like, this is potentially where we could go if we let these fucking nut jobs run their mouth and actually end up dictating policy because that's what's happening is that the government are getting pressure on the business to start easing lockdowns with your Bransons and all these types that are out with the begging bowls when they don't need to be um, putting pressure on the government. The government now thinking to themselves, we now need to transmit that pressure as we always have done to the British public so that they feel obliged to agree with our policy making. Yeah. And this is how through these talking heads, things like the austerities and all that have always been justified and it's how they're going to do this. It's how they're going to push for the lockdown to be eased potentially ahead of its time and cause that second wave that, you know, we're potentially going to face the line way ahead of it needing to happen. Yeah. Um, I think when you when you look at the... I mean, we spoke about this in a, a previous episode about working through sort of like a phase of pandemic porn where people are mm-hmm. watching like documentaries and movies about fucking viruses and whatever again um but if anybody does watch that or anybody has paid attention the second wave of a virus is normally the most devastating wave so we're on wave one and we've potentially got something coming over the hill that could be twice as bad as what we're facing just now and i don't see any news outlet whether it be left right guardian whatever talking about this they're almost like just ignoring it i think hoping that it just doesn't happen either yeah. that or like exactly what you've just been saying they're shaping the narrative to get us back out there and put us in harm's way um i Aye. think that i've seen that narrative come from some right bastard people on the right about well if you look at the nhs nurses what they're doing making tiktoks and blah 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 and also yeah. i've seen the daily mail run a story about how there hasn't been enough covid19 cases in birmingham to, for anybody to be admitted to their Nightingale hospital. So I would say that, well, that's evidence have, that... They don't have the staff for these hospitals. That's aye. part of the reason why nobody's ever went into any of them is that a number of them yep. don't have the staff. You know uh-huh. what I mean? So it's, it's, again, it's being pliable with what's actually happening for Absolutely. the sake of their own agenda. Yeah. And you're seeing it as well, as you say, with these far-right figures. You've got fucking... Nick Griffin dishing out food parcels and you've got, you know, Britain first, you know, man in phone banks and it's exactly the same as what we were talking about last week with guys like fucking Piers Morgan and the Sun yeah trying to be bastions of the NHS now all of a sudden bastions are truth and virtue like it's all just literally fucking window dressing absolutely you know I, mean? Man. I mean one of the things that I, I had heard was that the BMP have had three conferences since the lockdown or since COVID-19 has became an issue since it was declared a pandemic um, mm. And after the back of that, I was. I also heard that people at Bannon are out telling these far right figures of which they've got like a network of people. Like we know for Brexit Aye. through the Cambridge Analytica stuff, they're all in a network and they all communicate with each other and they all yep. keep each other in tabs. He's advising that people track than ever before Absolutely. in the past. It was you went to you know the Daily Stormer or whatever it is and read the comment section, but. 
there, it's all telegraphs and WhatsApp groups, and yeah. like, it's it's really difficult unless you're actually on the ground with these guys to you know track really what's going on with them. Absolutely, but he's giving out advice to people, telling them to go and do these positive PR things because we are currently in a state of flux. So if you look at this, is the type of thing where so I heard somebody talk about what should the left be doing right now. Um, mm-hmm. uh, in Europe, the left is not in power. Like it's either the centre or if you look at other places, it's the right. We we've got a right wing yeah. government. Um, Italy's right wing. France has got Macron, who's a centrist. Germany's centrist, but places like Poland, Hungary, um, these places yeah. have all got sort of right wing, no far right, but right wing governments in place. Um, mm. But what should the left be doing? And one of the the sort of bits of advice is, is that they should, and we've seen this happen, we've seen this be mentioned across everything, is that they should just go bipartisan and they should sort of shelf all political agenda and we should all just come together um, and sort of help each other and, and then we can be critical at the other side. I genuinely don't think that that's what Starmer's doing. I think that he's just a centrist and he's just playing that political game by saying we shouldn't question the government i don't think he's he's of the left and taking this type of advice but if you look at what the left's doing in the uk while we're in flux is that like you've just mentioned people like uh, griffin uh the bmp these people are there they're doing it like we're here to help and do you know what fuck off man get that to fuck Maybe not the right term, but they're essentially trying to whitewash themselves, aren't they? Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. It's not just that either. I read again another great article in The Guardian through the week where they were talking about some of these issues related to the far right. And it doesn't just go to them trying to use coronavirus to promote their own you know, self-image and a positive light. It's also become about undermining the opposition, which isn't an unusual tactic for you know the far right, but... This is taking the form in things like leafleting as if the Extinction Rebellion, talking about the human virus and how this is all everybody's fault and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And like, so actively, you know, taking part in disinformation. So I think right. alongside, you know, some of the other stuff we need to be careful that we've talked about in recent weeks, but this is another one. Like, I think it's really important. Yeah. I'd no t- matter what you're watching on the internet, the thing that I read and held. Where it comes from. Sorry, mate. The thing that I had read and heard about the sort of Nick Griffin and the connection with Bannon and stuff had said that these people are looking to flank the right. So it's the far right looking to outflank the right wing that's in power. So because mm-hmm. we've made the steps over the last sort of 15, 20 years to the centre right, now these people are going to try and do sort of PR campaigns or what in whatever way, shape or form to try and convince uh. people that they're the ones that should be one of the ones that really sort of made my jaw hit the floor was it had been mentioned in this interview about the guy um james something he's like basically like the figurehead of the yellow vests and um, yeah in the uk and um, he had been on a podcast where they were saying that the and i've just laughed before i fucking say this um that the, the the dilution of white culture in Northern Europe has meant that we've not been able to tackle coronavirus because if we had been a predominantly white society, we'd have come up with a vaccine already. Wow. So that's fucking... <laughs> so fucking... This guy's an idiot. So you know we're what I mean? dying like, of coronavirus because we're not white enough? 
Exactly. Um, and I think this okay. is something that stemmed from 4chan and 8chan, where when it was Chinese people dying, they were claiming that they were the only race that had the protein um, to, to contract the disease, and we were all right because we were white, and then that narrative changed as it spread to Italy mm-hmm. and Spain and blah, 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 and people calling the Italians non-whites and stuff like that, some crazy shit. But there's a couple of sort of really sort of, this is the type of thing that we really do need to watch for. And Hungary, um, their leader has declared that he can rule by decree and there would be no end date to that. So in a sort of Patriot Act 9-11 style George W. Bush, right. he can then become basically a, an authoritarian leader and there's no sort of time scale for him gaining their powers back. And if history mm-hmm. is told us anything, it won't give them back. Well, um, why would you? Exactly. But no, just that. Like, while people can't go and actually protest, like, a couple of wee things have happened. Like, um, he's brought in a couple of sort of laws about trans rights. He's, he's a big sort of right. anti-trans. So um, he's legislating out with a COVID-19 pretty much instantly. So he's used this as a power grab. Yeah. Exactly, and there's instant evidence of it. Yeah, can I imagine that's the only place that's the case? No, because in Poland they've pushed through anti-abortion laws. So in Poland, every time that the right-wing government try and get these anti-abortion laws put through, they they mass protest, <clears> and basically it just becomes apparent that they kind of get it through. But during this sort of lockdown, they've managed to push through this anti-abortion law. So like exactly saying, what we talked about in the first couple of weeks, Dennis. Just me and you was we need to be careful of how pe- how far people reach with, with their power, and this yep. is two examples straight away. It's not even taking six weeks for it to start on you know continental Europe, and you're just like that shit. I thought we were past, you know what I mean? Like, it's really unfortunate that we're not. But again, at times like this, when you look at the far right and you look at even to a, a slightly lesser extent, because they're using the same tactics, the Hopkinses and the Mrs. Goves and the Daily Mails and all the rest of it, it's. They're using fear to promote their own agenda, to promote yeah. themselves, to promote their profiles. And, like, I, it's something that we need to be, this is the end of the spectrum, is actual power grabs. Yeah. And at the bottom end of the spectrum is Katie Hopkins booing nurses. And then, you know, all these other examples that we've talked about fill the spectrum as you go along the line. You know what I mean? Like, but they're all part of the same thing. Absolutely. You know I mean? like they're all, you know, they're not in the best interest of the many here at all. Like, there's no communal concern with these people. It's all about their agenda and and their you know ambitions. Yeah, it's off. It's miles off. And I think it's not the only part of it really because we've had the prime minister come back to work today, um, talking about how other countries might look to our successes enviously. And I think like. We are into like proper sort of fake news, sort of through the looking glass territory here. Where this guy is just going to balls out, just fucking brass neck it. Um, I mean, we've seen the Financial Times figures during the week, and this was something that kind of quite surprised me because I get that data cannot be real time on this one. You know, mm-hmm. like there are a number of facilities, there are thousands, tens of thousands of people sick and dying, and elsewhere, like it's in flux, it's moving, it's fluid but I didn't expect the figures that are getting quoted as at 5pm briefings and in some cases to be nearly two weeks old Like I would have thought that they were more real time than that personally so the Financial Times run at a point when the official figure was something like 17,000 
the the actual deaths in the UK were closer to forty thousand. Um, the day I've looked at the running figure, it's closer to forty three, and they're saying that in Scotland, Northern Ireland, Wales, and some places there are up to two week delays in getting data. Um, you know, there was one instance where government ministers appeared to point to a dip in numbers as a sign that we'd go beyond the peak. Yeah. When in actual fact, the numbers dipped because of a bank holiday weekend where not necessarily less people died, but less people were recorded to dying. So it's one of the ones where, I don't know, man, like, I'm a bit, I'm a bit, I don't get why the numbers are any closer. I don't get why we're not including care homes. I don't care why, I don't get why there's so many stipulations as to what we can and can't include. And I know that it's models that are being used elsewhere by other countries, mm-hmm. but like, what is what is Ryan just telling us what's actually going on, or as close to what's actually going on as possible? Absolutely, mate. Mm-hmm. Dave, do you know what I mean? That this is way worse than what we even know. Um, I know that I obviously like twenty thousand people have died in hospital, but that's just the sort of potentially the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. I don't know, man. Like, I really don't. No idea why we wouldn't be getting told, other than that there's something going on that they don't want us to know because they don't want like mass panic and I don't know man and you don't really want to go down that road you want to as much as I don't want to be sounding too key or and being like pure trust the government you know what I mean there has to be a level of scepticism a level of like critical thought and a level of examination but at the same time when there are such glaring deficiencies in between what the government's telling us and what somebody like the Financial Times can publish and as you say subsequent issues that we need to address and prepare for. If we can't handle PPE now, you know what I mean, what happens if there is a second wave? Like, there are thousands of questions to answer in line with that that we're just not really looking at. And maybe it is best that we don't right now. I don't know. Um, But it does feel as though something's off. And I think when people go, oh, well, you're being cynical or, you know, you're just at it. Like, I've seen a story through the week where um, kind of very similar to you know, the time where the Tories decided that they were going to change their name to Fact Check UK. Um, a guy ran with a story saying that there had been 128 essentially fake NHS bots created to tweet out pro, pro-government tweets, so stuff in favour of like herd immunity and stuff like that. And the Department of Health came out and somewhat unironically decided that the best way to combat accusations are using bots was to respond to every tweet we we bought. Um, so it kinda undermined their, you know, denial a wee bit to me, to be honest with you. And um, they're going, We're not using bots by responding with ten thousand posts for a bot. Um it was like, mm, okay. But the author of that tweet has subsequently went, Look, I'm gonna go away, I've got other information, I'm gonna go and check the legalities, and then I'm gonna come back to you. But when he says he's coming back to you, he was like, I'm aware of what happened to the whistleblowers during Cambridge Analytica. And you're like, hold on a minute, like, this guy's story, as much as it's tapered off in the last few days, he thinks that it's as big as Cambridge Analytica, which in recent terms is a fucking massive story in the UK context. But, like, if he thinks that this is that big, I'd be very interested to see how far, you know, how much further down the rabbit hole it goes, because you can't also be like, oh, you need to trust the government unequivocally, but at the same time, you know, we're just going to respond via standard email for a bot when you accuse us of malpractice. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Again, it does that thing where it undermines their position and it leaves space for doubt. You know what I mean? Like, but again, that's one I'll be watching and I think it reflects with 
quite a lot of what we've already discussed. Where how do you trust a government that appears to be lying and then trying to hide it? I mean, that that story about the the bots was just. I mean, you're like, what the fuck? Like, it actually like blows my mind that, that again that they're the, these are the types of things that you just don't expect mm-hmm. happening. You don't expect no. to there to be Twitter profiles getting made to like it makes you question everything that shit. And again, come back to previous episodes. This is what feeds the conspiracy community. This is why people are out there fucking bombing down five G and <laughs> going crazy with that shit because. Time and time again, it comes back or, or something happens where you're just like, this, that's why people don't trust anything, any mm-hmm. official narrative that's coming out. Yeah. You almost don't blame people at that. Um, but this is Cambridge Analytica 2.0, getting no doubt about it. I don't I know what the thought process is for it. You know what I mean? Like, to go, we're in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. There are national deficiencies in PPE and any number of things that we've discussed over recent weeks and have been covered in the press at length. But my priority here is to make 130 fake nurse accounts so that it looks as though nurses are happy with what's going on. Like, that's a pretty fucking sinister thought process if that is what has actually happened. So I'll, I'll get the benefit of the doubt now and say if because the guy who obviously posted this thread is away checking legalities and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you've been doing that, thought process at a time like this it's fairly sinister and it probably gives credence to a lot of people's concerns about guys like Dominic Cummings sitting in on SAGE meetings which is a story that broke in the last few days where SAGE are the scientific community's advisory group to the government on these types of things and it turns out there's political aid sitting on it and you're like how do we trust the impartiality of decision making of a scientific body when it's allowing political agitators, political representatives of the government on the board and involving themselves in that decision-making process. We've seen a lot of folk being like, Pure, of course the government aides are on it. Of course they are. You know what I mean? Like, how else would they be like, that's never been the case before. Right? So don't talk to us as if this is a certainty that has to be accepted when it's a standard that has never been allowed in the past. Like, yeah, I seen Andrew These things need it. to be independent. No, I've seen Andrew Neil tweeting, like, why wouldn't a government advisor be included in a meeting like this? I wasn't the only one. I of course there is the historical white precedent, and then they could come back to the argument of well, we're, we're living in unprecedented times. Okay, fair enough. Let's let's think about it like that. But when it's fucking the, the UK Eugen kid himself that's <laughs> and then he's coming back, and the way that the Guardian had wrote it, and obviously the Guardian and whoever's wrote it has got their own bias, and, and I understand that was more along the lines of that he's there and he's then interpreting that and going back and feeding that and, and advice to the government. So so you're skewing it through the prism of his own thought process before exactly. he hands it back. And if you look at this guy's thought process, it's yeah. some scary fucking shit. So Aye. Um, I, I appreciate that I maybe there might be government advisors, but you're not even getting... If, that, if it's that important, why is he not gone himself? Why is Boris not gone himself? Like, why is there they for the Scottish side yet or the, the Welsh side yet getting included in this? It's this mm-hmm. specific one guy, or there was two of them, one that was there. Um, I suppose you'd probably need to find Johnson first to work out why he's not attending meetings, to be fair, and hiding in his fucking metaphorical fridge 
but now that there's actually some good news to share with people, he wants to step out and be the face of it. And I'm pretty sure I've seen 10,000 people on Twitter call that like three weeks ago. So, you know, fair play to them if you had that on at the bookies. Yeah, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't know how much I buy into it because they announced last week that it's another three weeks and that they've been a sort of will revisit it after yeah. three weeks. So I don't know. I think that that's probably been, like you're saying, the rumours that went about before. Mm-hmm. And, and people couldn't do it together, but we'll find it tomorrow. We can talk about that sort of like next week. But everything, I mean, another thing that's been that I'd seen being commented on is that the different sort of arms of the Tories are starting to really sort of insulate themselves or try and get away from any of the blame that's going to come out with post this. Um, oh, I. There's talk here. Boris has got like sort of four or five different excuses. <laughs> um, one of them being a friend that you just previously mentioned, Dominic Cummings, and there's a lot of stuff getting sort of leaked out there. I mean, there's no there's coincidence that the Guardian's getting all this information. People are blowing the whistle and like his attitude and the way that he sees things in the last few weeks, and then mm-hmm. he's in the stage meeting and blah blah blah. He's one element there. The, the next sort of level of protection he's got is guys like Dominic Raab, Michael Gove. So that's um, where my money is. I think Gove will be sacrificed. Uh, no, uh, no Gove. Raab will be sacrificed. The other side of this is the designated survivor uh, to the court of public opinion. And then after like six months when he's been out of office, they'll fucking fire him a knighthood. And throw him a bone. Aye. I don't see how in any way he, he can protect himself. Where, like these sort of like body shields that are like other politicians or advisors that are out there. It's just funny balls out just stand there and go, I wasn't here, none of this was me. He's not trying to convince me, he's trying to convince the idiots that have already voted for him. You know what I mean? Like, mm, they're the true. ones he needs next time, it doesn't he does. Doesn't he does to believe a fucking word that he says. You know what I mean? Like he needs the numpties that went out there on mass and voted him in three months ago to go out in four years' time and date again. So he's speaking to them, not us, and they'll believe anything, as is obviously the case so far. You know what I mean? No, that's, that's worrying. That's seriously worrying. Um, I've seen a lot of people sort of talk about the, the, the way that it's been reported inside and outside the UK and the US is sort of like you can see the glaring differences in how mm-hmm. we're talking about our government's response and the American okay. government's response. I mean, me and you are we spoke earlier on, we are getting to see the balls and all Trump like response. We are getting oh, all that information. We get to see it all, but how much that we get to see of um, our government's response and how that's been perceived mm-hmm. in other media outlets outside the UK um, is supposed to be like glaring difference. I mean, we, we are oh. waiting to this because of 2014. I mean, we we seen the two different front pages of newspapers inside Scotland and outside of Scotland and mm-hmm. so we kind of know that this goes on but there's a lot of people in England that would be shocked if I mean, you tell them that that was the case Yeah, the UK response must be absolutely appallingly received outside of the UK um, I think the only evidence of that we should ever really need was the story this week of, I don't know if you've seen this the two Vietnamese children who donated the pocket money they had saved whilst, and they called it lucky money, it's like birthday money, Christmas money, etc. that these two, no, no Vietnamese children across the country, two Vietnamese kids saved up their pocket money 
and bought 20,000 bits of PPE and then donated it to the UK. So that so that is how the UK response is being received outside the UK, and that Vietnamese children are donating their pocket money to buy PPE for us. Oh my God! You know what I mean? I mean, how do we get ourselves this? Uh, how do we get ourselves to these reports? Like, we don't we don't see them? Like, I no, I'm not seeing them anywhere. So there must be some way that we can get ourselves. To this sort of reporting, I suppose it would need to be translated. But the way that we reported the the, the crisis that when it was in Italy was like significantly different. Yeah, and we have already got more people dead in Oof. the timescale that they've seen than in our record day. Yeah, is way more than what their record day was, and so that kind of should set the alarm bells ringing that we're not getting told the full story. And so mm-hmm. definitely, I think in terms of the Goves and the Rabs and the Johnsons and Cummings and all the rest of it and their, you know, notions of what it means to be a leader at this time, you know, I think in stark contrast, I'd probably like to take a couple of minutes to actually, like, big up the First Minister. I think in terms of her response. Now, this is somebody that can't win. If she says nothing, she gets stick. If she talks before the UK government, she gets stick. If she talks after the UK government, she gets stick. If she acts before or after the UK government, she gets stick. And, like, she's just went on. I think she's been really fun. I think she's been really open. I think she's been really direct. And I really appreciated her coming at it from a human perspective this week by talking in the press about how this situation had even impacted her own mental health negatively and that how she was having to be more conscious of her health, her well-being, exercise. I think at one point she was on doing her hair and nails on YouTube or something like that, along with people and <clears throat> like putting a real like human face on it. I think it offers a really stark contrast to the some of the almost kind of like machismo-driven nonsense that's going on down south or in America or you know the guys like Bolisario in Brazil as we were talking the other week there. And it's it's a sentiment I've kind of seen kind of echoed in a number of places in the last week or two, not so more so than with um, Jamie, who's been in a few times to talk about UBI. He shared an article about how women leaders were being sort of widely praised almost all across the world for their approach. Like, I know I'm pretty much almost fed up hearing about the New Zealand Prime Minister and how absolutely awesome she is. Um, obviously, Nicola Sturgeon comes a close second at the minute in the, in the sort of worldwide stakes, I would say, but at the same time, there's, you know, a real stark contrast to be looked at here in terms of how maybe administrations run by men and administrations run by women have approached this because there's been a lot of praise going to organise uh, countries run by women at the minute versus a lot of criticism run by men. So I think that's something that would be quite interesting to look at the line. But in terms of our First Minister, I think her performance throughout the last couple of weeks has been absolutely top draw. I agree. Like I think there's been zero, there's been zero like that human element that you're talking about there. The the, the English um, Parliament of Westminster or the, the UK Parliament, we've, we've had no sort of like honest conversations about how it's impacting them, and it, it it is actually like sort of weird hearing somebody being like this is this situation's even impacting me, and then they're seeing. Um, 
pictures on her social media, like what books she's reading, like the way she's going down her hair and makeup and talking about her own sort of well-being. It's a different approach to politics. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, man, I welcome it wholeheartedly because Definitely. it does make you feel connected to that person. And one, do you know what I mean? It's no somebody that you're like, I've got nothing in common with you. Um, there was a video of her outside of her house in the south side of Glasgow clapping for the NHS. Yep. You see the, the British equivalent, they're coming outside the front of Parliament and standing and clapping in front of Parliament, which is like keeping their elite status and no dropping that sort of garb. And I'll genuinely yep. go out there and, and feel whatever to say that I think it's because we've realised that they're all fucking reptiles. If they do, we'll sort of <laughs> shift the curtain a wee bit and let us see inside the house that the chambers in the background are fucking... Aye, if we were allowed to see what their equivalent of being a human being was, would never want to look again, probably. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's it that, that human, it's kind of back to where we started and that need for human contact, that need for society or for the ability to socialise. And I think Nicola Sturgeon has echoed that in a big way, not just by being on the ball when it comes to policy, not just by being on the ball when it comes to you know, some of the criticisms she's faced or some of the challenges that the Scottish Government have faced as part of this four-country approach, um, but also that human element, because I think we're all starting to miss that human part of our lives, you know what I mean? Um, and I think having an actual real person out there going, look, this is tough, it's tough for me, it's tough for you, but we'll get through it, is immensely reassuring. And I, I, as I say, it's something that I've definitely garnered a, a wee bit merry a kind of like okay right you know perspective in a sense you know what I mean I think so, um, I, I, I kind of picked up on um, you talking about chaos last week um, where you know the, the, the obviously if anybody didn't quite catch it it was a, a book about how Charles Manson may have been involved in and affected by uh, MK Ultra and MK Ultra adjacent kind of experiments during the fifties and sixties that may or may not have led the line to, you know, what Charles Manson and the Manson family eventually did, yeah. and it wasn't so much the Manson element um, that kind of got me because you covered that quite extensively last week, um, but I had a look at the the Joe Rogan podcast that you'd mentioned, and yeah. there was a passing comment about Whitey Bulger. Um, and Whitey Bulger, if anybody's seen recently the, the movie Black Mass with Johnny Depp, that's Whitey Bulger, all right? one of sort of Boston's biggest ever gangsters uh, and head of the, the Winter Hill Gang. But a really, kind of like Manson, like a really iconic American figure within the sort of crime spheres and stuff like that. Right. And in the podcast, it was just a sort of passing comment that oh, he also said that he'd been affected by this. And I was like, that's weird that you could have somebody like Manson, somebody like Whitey Bulger, who in American terms are these, you know, cultural figures almost in a lot of senses, be subject to the same kind of MK Ultra esque experimentation. Um, so I did kind of like do a bit of reading on the Bulger stuff and like the experience that he described was frighteningly similar to what Manson was describing or what the, the author of the book related to Manson was describing. Um, picked up in prison, 
obviously experimented on extensively with hallucinogens. Um, once they got out of prison on the other side of this, found themselves protected for the law when they should have both maybe found themselves in jail. Um, Rumours from both the author and related to Bulger that they were federal sort of collaborators. Um, so like a lot of like really like close similarities to the two, even though you know they're quite disparate figures to each other. You know yeah. what I mean? They will have never have met. Um, I think one of the, the most fucked up things I've seen in it was that Bulger described moving to Alcatraz as a relief. So Bulger was put in Alcatraz at the peak Alcatraz. You know, it was just a hovel and you know an island after Costa, whatever it is, San Francisco. And like he's seen going to that rat infested pit as an actual bonus because where he'd been previously had experimented on one so extensively that he couldn't sleep any more than three hours a night. He didn't sleep with a partner or with a pet in the room because he would wake up at night and be in fit, violent fits and stuff like that. Okay. Um, both of them described seeing blood coming down walls and these types of things. Mm-hmm. And like there was a like real similarity, and I was like, that's fucked up that. Some like MK Ultra potentially could have created two of America's most famous killers, and like wondering like what responsibility does the American government have for you know putting that in place and causing these guys to go off the rails in the manner that they did? But kind of separate to chaos, I also watched just in passing. I watched uh, a thing on Netflix, Unabomber in his own words, and it's again a quite an iconic American sort of crime figure. The Unabomber ran for 18 years yeah. and essentially used a lack of forensics to basically fuck with the FBI for the best part of two decades. And that's really what he was doing. He was sending bombs, he was perfecting himself trying to kill, but he was also trying to show the FBI how stupid and dumb they were, and because mm-hmm. this guy had an IQ of like 170. Yeah. But at the end of that, he actually talks about experiments that were done on him while he was at college. Um, and like mm. the Manson thing, uh, and like, obviously, Bulger, the guys who were involved in that went on to hold really high positions within the CIA on things like interrogation and brainwashing and blah, blah, blah. Mm. But the guy who experimented on Kaczynski, who later became the Unabomber, also was the guy who wrote the CIA's handbook on enhanced interrogation. So this guy spent three oh. years, aye? This guy spent three years with initially a 16-year-old Kaczynski because as a genius, he went to university at 16 years old. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. But then spent three years going in on a daily basis with this guy and the point of the experiment was to undermine everything he thought about himself. So they were asking him about his political philosophy, about his life, about his interests, about... And this is a young guy mm-hmm. who's came from quite a sheltered background and is already extremely socially awkward. Yeah. And they spent three years basically dismantling his personality in very similar terms to... So if this wasn't an MKUltra experiment, it was MKUltra adjacent because it was happening at the same time. It was happening in universities like we know it was happening in prisons and in the army. There was very similar structures to how it was. There wasn't an open use of hallucinogens here, but MKUltra experimented with torture, with beration, with, you know, all sorts of things. So very similar tactics. And I'm going, see if you today are like a top 10 American killers. You've got, you know, Bundy, Dalmer, Son of Sam, but like Unabomber, 
Bulger and Manson are all on that list of the top 10 and you're talking about a new US government experiment potentially creating something like three out of the top 10 famous killers in the country's history. And that to me is just, when I seen that, I was like, fucking hell, man. Like, so again, I was away reading some kind of terms and like the similarities in the three stories or those parts of the three stories is absolutely terrifying. So as like, mm-hmm. I don't know if in your reading you picked up on the Unibomber side at all, no? Do you know, I watched that, the Unibomber in his own words, and I, and I completely missed him talk about experiments, and I watched it back when it first came out, so I hadn't started reading Chaos, I hadn't yep. really engaged by any of the colonial stuff, so it wasn't really like at the front of my mind, but I think mm-hmm. yourself, well, we've had that conversation, and then you've watched that and went, wait a minute, what the fuck's that all about? Um, but, uh, like on the on the fact that potentially thirty percent or forty percent of the top ten biggest killers in US history have been produced by like basically a government psychops is fucking wild. Absolutely Aye. fucking wild. Um the the one that see when you're talking you were talking about the thing about the K- Kaczynski, other than the fact that his name his name is Ted as well, wasn't it? So they've got yep. one day and Kaczynski, which is weird for the watch everybody. Be wary of Ted's eye. Theod- is it Theodore or somewhere? That I think Theodore, I, or Theodore or Edward. But the the fact that his brother and his dad, when in that documentary, talk about how he went away for his first semester at university or college, come back a different person. Yep. So if they were conducting that experiment, and he's been vulnerable because he's been the youngest person there. He, he commented on how he was alienated to everybody. He didn't, yep. he didn't really socialise with people, so he's been alone and he's not had anybody to go to. And if they were experimenting on him and it completely changed his personality over, I mean, what's a semester? Like four months? Aye. Something like that. You can only imagine the type of fucking impact you could have if they had people at their bed and call with 24 7, like they did through the prison system. Aye. And they've got his. Conducted over the course of years, a day, nasty people. Like, they've got his diaries and he, he first considered killing during the beginning of these experiments because his political philosophy has something that, see, when you actually read his manifesto, like people say, like, this guy was. Good. See, if he, see, if he, see if he just cut the bombs out this guy would have been a founding member of Greenpeace or whatever it is like yeah. his theory is absolutely rock solid he was anti-technology pro-environment he was like a pioneer and, and in certain respects he was light years ahead of the, his time yeah. uh, and you know it's hard to recognise that now because he blew people up for a living um, yeah, but at the same time what he wrote was no rang so having that philosophy challenged in the manner that it was for such a long period of time by somebody who was an eminent psychologist who then went on to write the playbook on enhanced interrogation, what chances are even a 16-year-old genius, what chances a 16-year-old go against that? Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, it's I mean, it's absolutely crazy. Mind. He's had a powerful mind, and it's oh, probably been a case, the case that they've wanted to see how, like, will this impact somebody with increased mm-hmm. intelligence? You've got to imagine that. Um, I, th- I heard somebody talk about it, and I don't remember where if it was on if it was a podcast or whatever. But they said that over the course of twenty four hours, for when that went live on Netflix, his manifesto would be downloaded some sort of crazy amount of time, and there people that were commenting basically saying that you need to read it because it's a it is actually a bit of genius. 
Uh, it's like a seminal bit of writing. Yeah, but then obviously the guy has went on to then murder a lot of people. I mean, the bit yep. in the documentary where he, he talks about, I think it was Anisha Corbin's, and the, the woman then held it where he was sitting with basically like a rifle and a scope on this woman and her daughter and just yep. decided in the moment not to pull the trigger. Aye. Like, she was there with a toddler. Scary shit, man. That is Aye. like, what the fuck? But, I man, the MK Ultra stuff kind of feeds into the sort of Operation Paperclip um, stuff where they, they go, the sort of German doctors and the, the, the people that were basically the thinking behind Big the time. German war machine that split them between Soviet Union and America, and it's all sort of stemmed to that. And we know the kind of experiments the Nazis were doing in Nazi Germany. And that's oh, exactly what we were talking about earlier on, where people just point out this thing where we could end up here, we could end up in a Nazi authoritarian state, or we could end up in a in a, in a communist state where millions of people die and blah, blah, blah. And the actual reality of the situation is that they adopted all the worst fucking parts of these societies. Yeah, fifty years, sixty years ago. Chest with them, do you know what I mean? It's crazy. Yeah, aye, man, absolutely bonkers. But that was probably one of the areas where your love for conspiracy theory and my love for true crime kind of intersected there through the week. And I did kind of like you've described yourself in previous weeks, like when doing a bit of a rabbit hole. I was watching, I watched a podcast where the the witness, the she was a juror on Whitey, Whitey Bulger's trial, and obviously had voted him guilty for a number of the crimes that he was legitimately guilty for, but he was let off with something like eight murders during that trial, and she befriended Bulger after the trial, and this is when he started to break down, you know, where his life. So I think she was a, she was a novelist who had written about the American Civil War uh, and knew about, about the Constitution, and it went like a lot of went on in that court case, was against the Constitution and sparked up a friendship with him, and this kind of like MK Ultra stuff was a bit by the by, like she never paid a lot of attention to it, neither did he, but it was part of their, the conversations they detailed as they became friends after the trial, which I also thought was quite weird. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's funny how these things get out, I've never in a million years put Kaczynski, Bulger Manson, and uh... Manson together, beyond, you know, like a list of top ten American serial killers. I mean, but in actual fact, they're all linked potentially by some form of this school of thought. It's right. and, it, and the, it, the bit that really gets me about that when we talk about what the Manson thing last week is that it was all in the name of anti communism that they were trying to infiltrate yeah. sort of radical groups like the Black Panthers and cause Arguments between the people that were in charge and split yep. other groups off. And divide and conquer up, again. I divide and conquer, but they ended up costing people's lives, and this is all just collateral damage when it comes to governments. Like they don't have fuck. Aye. Same as Thatcher and the miners and all the, the as I said, the IRA infiltrators that you were talking about earlier on. It's no, it's no a new thing, and it's certainly no something that's went away either. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing it in the digital sense where they're creating doctors and nurses to go out there. Aye. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, to astroturfers. It's the fucking playbook, man. Like, it, you can. It's hard to. The technology not to, changes, but the story stays the same. Exactly. It's hard not to end up doing that sort of thought path when all these bits and pieces all come together. But there has been so many times where all these bits and pieces have came together and go to the world where I'm. But, but then see on the other really side of it is, it is. I don't get me wrong, I, I did get a wee bit, uh, you know, mere enjoyment out of conspiracy theory type stuff than I have done in the past, just because it was something that was so fresh in my mind. Um, but on the flip side of it, 
here's something that I also kind of considered. So the US government did experiments on people that in some instances led to really violent individuals out there in the population who did some real serious damage over prolonged periods of time. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side of that, the American government was then able to pioneer criminology off the back of these guys. So fingerprints, DNA, you know, all the surveillance and you know, this all in a lot of senses came from the fear of serial killers, the fear of the guy under your bed or in your cupboard attacking you in your home and like, you know, handwriting analysis, speech analysis, gate analysis, all the analyses that now become standard practice in a criminal court case or a manhunt or come for or stem for these guys and trying to hunt these guys over a prolonged period of time without success. Um, but then it's almost cyclical in a sense and that the American government essentially created these guys. These guys created the need for the technology and then the technology was created to catch these guys. You know what I mean? It's all one big kind of whoop and it was kind of weird to think about in those terms that how much uh, one modern world and one modern ideas of policing comfy when we hunted these guys 40 years ago. Problems that were purposefully created. Well, not purposefully created because I'm, I, I would like to think that the people out there, like the psychologists and the drug doctors and the scientists, weren't they trying to create serial killers? No. I mean, there's, there's, there's a conspiracy theory that MKUltra was about basically creating sort of ready-made assassins like that. Aye. Sort of Manchurian. Aye, Manchurian candidates. I mean, in our modern world and in our, our culture, it's always Russian. It's always the Russian sleeper <laughs> agent. Like, if you watch Family Guy, there's, a, there's the, the scene that's just coming pure flashing out in my mind where Meg gets woke up and she's the Russian sleeper agent. When that, that might be true and that's been proved over the course of the years as well through documentation when the Soviets Aye. sort of imploded. Still there in things like Treadstone, you know, the yeah. Bond spin-off. You've also got a, um, more recently, where was the... No, lost my chain of thought there. But yeah, I, there are examples. Are yeah, sorry, Killing Eve. Well. Killing Eve was the other one. You've got yeah, a lassie, exactly. a lover puddling lassie, playing a fucking Russian assassin. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, still the bad guy. that everything that has ever been point the fingers ever been pointed at other governments out there that have went look what they're doing. Look how you're so much better to your people has probably been done by every fucking government. Oh I absolutely I mean these guys in paperclip that you're talking about were getting jailed and getting convicted as part of the Nuremberg trials. The Nuremberg trials led to new statutes all across the world on human experimenting that outlawed it. And then they took all these guys that they just convicted at Nuremberg and gave them all homes in America to start their work. And the only difference was is that they now worked under an American instead of a Nazi. You know what I mean? Like, so, yeah. aye, there's a hypocrisy. I mean, the guy that created the fucking nuclear bomb. Um, Oppenheimer? Uh, aye, no, the other guy the, um, that ended up creating NASA. He made the, the V2 bomb. Von Braun? Von Braun, like, Von Von Braun, um, that guy was an absolute fucking. Apparently, that guy in Nazi Germany was like one of the top guys. Was one Aye. Of sort of, he uh, leveled uh, London with a V2. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, and, what? and this guy got took in and he gave a fucking high power job and, and the American regime and ended up like so rich and so part of their culture and like 
that's the bit where you sort of go, who are the good guys, who are the bad guys? I don't think they genuinely don't give a fuck. Who, what, no. What your, it's about your value. It's about what you can bring to the table. And if you can bring something to all value and their opinion to the table, they will absolutely give you a platform to... Like, so that they can oh, get the that, and that's how these psychologists get away with it. That's how these guys that experimented on Manson, experimented on Bulger, and experimented on Kaczynski get away with it because they then contributed to how the CIA interrogates, how they, you know, use enhanced interrogation and all these other things. Like, you know, this guy that interviewed Kaczynski was the dude who invented the spotlight in the face technique. So the thing that you see is the standard unit of measure in every spy movie, the spy tied to the chair with the spotlight in his face. The guy that, you know, essentially verbally abused Kaczynski for three years, that was his. Like, he invented that shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so you're not talking about, like, insignificant people here. And that's, like you say, they were allowed to continue on with their horrible shit because they were contributing to something that the government at the time wanted. And it didn't start then, and it probably hasn't stopped now. Yeah, no, I mean, that's it. That's it, mate. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm happy to end it. It's another fucking cracking episode, another like, good chat, man. Sunday afternoon, just sitting about. But aye, man, exactly. just, I'm away, you go and complete one of the seven million polls that have popped up about what type of biscuits your favourite, or whether you butter a digestive, or, you know, whether you sit on the left arse cheek or your right arse cheek, or whatever it is that's going on out there. So, that's, that's kind of how I'm going to be filling the rest of my day because that seems to be all oh, that's my social media at the minute. What are your top 10 albums? What are your top 10 films? Uh, What's your favourite biscuit? You know. Well, I was on the Facebook yesterday to get the Zoom uh, link to that Zoom call last night for the quiz and I had about 40 million notifications on Facebook <laughs> and it was all like nominations and I, I'm going to need to post something because... I think people think when I post an Instagram story, it goes to my Facebook. They'll be assuming that I'm in Facebook and I'm saying that. When yeah. no, I don't have Facebook. Like I don't use it. It's just there so that I can use the messenger app to keep in touch nice. with certain people. And I, there'll be people out there that are like, "This fucking trick, I've nominated him for like about." <laughs> instead of just instead of just stop nominating you, I did well, the opposite. I, I met I met in the middle between being disgusted by being nominated and no Dana and realising that at this time I'd probably been a bit of a prick. So what I did was when I get nominated today, 10 movies, I just posted all 10 in the one go because eight days from now, I'm not going to remember today, the other two. And I was just like, anytime I get nominated, I just bang them up in the one go and be like, right, here's my, here's, here's my participation here. Um, but I'm going to be riveted down the line by how many people also prefer bourbon creams to custard creams. You know what I mean? That's the level of lockdown that we're all at elsewhere. Well, it's nothing else we get to know each other a wee bit better, eh? Through fucking Lightning falls when there is panic in the sky Thunder calls when all but fear is lifted
to die You tell it like it's fantasy Something that you're never going to be Same old story every day There's just one thing that I have to say That if we believe If we trust in you Then I don't know why you say the things you do You'd see And not those lies to me Empty halls now filled with echoes of their past Honor stars, they lived each day like it's their last You tell it like it's fantasy Something that you're never Every day, there's just one thing that I have to say That if we believe, if we trust in you Then I don't know why you say the things you do You'd see a whole new way to be Giving honest answers and not those lies to me I can tell that you're on a mission just to break the walls down time and time again If it wasn't true, would it be okay to break the walls down time and time again? If we believe, if we trust in you Then I don't know why you say the things you do You'd see a whole new way to be Giving honest answers and not those lies to me Believe, if we trust in you then I don't know why you say the things you do You'd see a whole new way to be Giving honest answers and not those lies to me